This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is A's Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. This episode of Green and Gold History is presented by New Era. New Era Cap is proud to be the official cap of your Oakland athletics. Next time you visit the Coliseum, be sure to drop by the New Era Cap stand and pick up your A's New Era Authentic Collection Cap. Remember, you can always visit us at neweracap.com to shop our latest selection, including our limited edition and exclusive drops. New Era Cap, the official on-field cap of Major League Baseball. Time once again for another great episode, number 11 of Memories with Boos. Yay's longtime equipment manager, Steve Vucinich, retiring after 54 years with the club since opening day 1968. And as we get to episode 11, Boos, we're focusing on the 1990 campaign, another great season for the athletics. I want to take a step back to the excitement, but uh, somewhat muted of winning the World Series in 89, the favorite series against the Giants and how the club moved forward how the community moved forward in that offseason of 1989 heading into 1990. Well, Vinny, the earthquake was fresh on our minds. I mean, we were lucky that so few people lost their lives and were injured in that thing. And and that's what you thought about all winter. And then come spring training, Carney and and Steiny got together and they all hired an artist and made up a t-shirt for everybody to wear right at the beginning of the spring training. It had ace caricatures in it. It was pretty cool. And it said, contentment stinks. And he didn't want all the guys to think just because we won the World Series, we're going to be easy to do again. We still had to play the games. We still had to work at it. Everybody knew we still had the best club. I mean, we lost uh, Dave Parker to free agency. Uh, we lost Storm Davis to Kansas City in free agency. So there are some new faces coming on board. But uh, the guys were focused during spring training. It was kind of a late spring uh, because of a uh, one a lockout, but it was unofficial strike lockout, and we so we started a little bit late. But uh, got into the season and uh, just off and running, and we had a little bit of a pennant race, and uh, it was a fun year. We win uh, the the uh, division again, and we go to the playoffs, and we sweep Boston four games, two in their place, two in our place, just like '88. So now we've got to go to Cincinnati for the World Series. And I just had this weird feeling about this is too much like 88. We got into the hotel in Cincinnati and all our players were complaining about it, just like they were complaining about the hotel in Los Angeles in 88. And uh, we really had nothing to do with what hotel we were booked into. That was all handled by the commissioner's office. So there are a lot of things that were uh, reminded me of 88. And it wasn't a good start in Cincinnati. But the season was fun. The uh, Bash brothers, we had a, they performed well. Ricky was outstanding. I mean, he just signed this long four-year contract at the 89 season and probably had his best year in his career in 1990, and he was the MVP. And for Ricky, that was his first of a, first year of, of a four-year deal. And <laughs> by statistical comparisons, he was probably underpaid, but he's the one that signed the contract. So that led a little drama to it, too. Why do you think the, the dynamic was there, Boost? You know, going to World Series, losing in 88, winning in 89, but not having that complacency looking into the 90 season. How do you think that all came together? You talked about Conseco and McGuire, still relatively young by Major League standards, veterans like Carney and others. What do you think was the thing that, that kept them connected that had that focus for 90? Well, I think the, the veteran leadership of Dave Stewart, Carney Lansford, Terry Steinbeck, 
and it always goes back to Tony Larusa. And, and Tony uh, would talk to the players. He was very open about things. Tony had the best meetings I'd ever heard of any of our managers. He uh, he was focused, but he wanted the players to stay that way. And uh, his big thing is let's win series. Win two out of three. That's that's pretty good record. Win three out of four. Win another series. If, and just keep doing that. But the the focus was there. Our guys wanted to win another one, and uh, the leadership proved very effective, and that's why we won a division and went on to the series again. Vuce, you, you can make the case that you probably have sat in on every manager meeting ever existing in Oakland A's history, and you talk about Tony and the way that he was able to, to run those meetings and, and have his message be received in a way that provided you know a, a positive move forward. What, what specifically was it like with Tony when he had those moments, when he closed the doors and it was just him and his team and having those conversations? Well, Tony was very well-read and very well-spoken. And so he didn't mince words. He didn't mix words. He didn't use too many words. And that's why it was effective. He never had a meeting when he shouldn't have. A lot of managers will always say, hey, you have too many meetings, that can be bad. Uh, You can't have a meeting every time you go through a, a losing streak. But Tony always wanted to play on an even keel. He says, don't get too high and don't get too low. And that's mostly the message he would send unless there was a specific thing he was addressing, like uh, uh, not that we had any discipline problems, but if there was something like that, then now he would focus in on that. But uh, most of the meetings were all positive. We all felt good after them. One of the great stories in the aftermath of 1990 was looking back at Bob Welch's spring training of 1990, which, you know, spring training is what it is. The numbers were awful. And he turns around and he wins 27 games during the season, starts the all-star game and has a lot of great things that happen. Take me back to spring training and just look, these guys know what spring training is sports to get ready, but how weird was it watching the way that Bob went about those things and wondering what his season was going to be like and how it turned out? Well, going through that and fast forwarding to the end of the season is very reminiscent to me of what Catfish Hunter was like in spring training. He had terrible records in spring training. But Catfish knew he was going to be a starter on a good club, and he was working on things. And I don't know if that was the exact same case with Welchie. We had just re-signed him, I think. And uh, maybe he was trying to do too much in spring training. But once the season got going, he had to run support. He pitched really well. Obviously, Cy Young winner. And uh, But it was funny to see him be so bad in spring training and then so good during a regular season. 27 games, nobody's come close to that since. Boost, you know, with Bob Welch, he had his moment, you know, as a youngster going head to head as a Dodger against Reggie Jackson back in the playoffs in the, in the late 70s. He, he's a veteran now with the A's at this point. And while he left us way too soon and became a, a, a longtime fixture in the A's organization working with the young pitchers, what was Bob Welch like? Bob was off the wall. And uh, if you read his book, he can tell you why or that will tell you why. But he was a fun person to be around. He was always cutting up a hard, hard worker. And to watch his workout regimen was unbelievable. I mean, he'd get on the stair stepper and he'd do 30 minutes on that. And I'd get on the stair stepper and do 30 steps in about two minutes. And that's about it. But uh, I mean, he's a great guy, a funny guy, love talking about the Dodgers. Uh, But he said, that's in the past, but I'll talk to you about it just because people want to know. He was very content on being in the Bay Area. He bought a house in San Francisco. Obviously, we all know it was damaged in the 89 quake. Good golfer, great athlete, and a good person. Um, And, God, we really miss him now even. You touched on Stu and and his leadership, Dave Stewart. He 
as it turns out, had his fourth consecutive 20-win campaign, you know, which is something that we just don't see in the modern game anymore, you know, one 20-win season, let alone a guy having four in a row. Where was Stu's stature in the game, watching him perform the way he did all those years for Oakland and then what he did in 1990? Well, his stature gained uh, stature uh, with each and every season. Uh, when he came in in 86, he was just a guy that was – he'd been kicked around. Texas, Philly, and he came in and he proved that he's a pretty good pitcher and the timing was perfect. And then we go to 88, 87, 88, 89, 90, he wins 20 games plus each time. And a real leader, A uh, the players knew that once he was out on the mound that he was going to give it a great effort, not just a good effort, but a great effort. And more times than not, he's successful. We score runs for him, he would win. But he was also a leader that, hey, if things aren't going good, hey, maybe we lost a couple of games in Chicago or flying to Cleveland. Let's all get together at Cleveland, meet at the bar. Let's just just round it out, just talk if we have to. And so that's why he was a great, great leader. The uh, no-hitter was in Toronto. Unfortunately, as noted, is overshadowed by uh, Valenzuela's no-hitter in L.A. that same night. But that was the year of the no-hitters. There were more, more no-hitters that year than I think any other year. But uh, uh, it pitched a good game. It's funny, I wasn't on that trip, but I watched that whole game on TV, and I, thought, I don't know if I've ever watched from first pitch to last pitch, but that one I did for some reason and got into it about third, fourth inning, realizing he hadn't given up a hit. You mentioned that, you know, his motivation, his motivation for himself, his motivation to uh, inspire his teammates, and we touched on Ricky winning the MVP in 1990 during the regular season. Talk about motivation. You know Ricky as well as anybody. When, when it's a motivated Ricky Henderson – what did that mean for the A's? And what was it like day in and day out with Ricky being ready or not quite ready to play every day and yet finding a way to step on the field and do things that we just don't see on a regular basis? Well, first of all, Ricky never dogged it. I think he always had a high level, and then sometimes he had a higher level, and he could really turn it on. Uh, he was very focused. He wanted to be the best player in the game. Uh, he would tell people that I can be the best. And it's evidenced by being a leadoff hitter and stealing all those bases and still hitting all those home runs. He's a uh, uncanny knack to, pitch, to pick the right pitch to steal on. And I think that was attributed to Billy Martin teaching him when to run. And, uh, and you think about this, this is some uh, 10 years later. So uh, he was very focused, a good leader in his own way. His players uh, had fun with Ricky. And, but, you know, Ricky was always ready to play, and, and uh, it wasn't so much he had to turn it on, but some days he turned it on to a new level. We see, uh, as we fast forward to 2021, Ray, or uh, boost the, the, the trading deadline and the A's acquire Starling Marte from the Miami Marlins, Josh Harrison, Jan Gomes come over from the Washington Nationals, Andrew Chapin comes over to the A's from the Chicago Cubs. Back then, Maybe not as dramatic a move, but it certainly had to have some value. Willie Randolph joins the team. Willie McGee joins the club. Harold Baines joins the team. These are proven players with track records. What was their influence, and how did they mesh in with what was happening with the A's in 1990? I think I think uh, Willie McGee had the biggest personal influence. I mean, it, they came over at the waiver deadline trading, and it's funny – the trade for McGee was made, I think, a couple of days before they announced it. They wanted to get Willie. He was leading the National League in batting average at the time and make sure he had enough plate appearances to qualify. So he met, we make that trade, and Harold comes over, and Harold had played with Tony as a favorite of Tony's. Uh, Willie Randolph came over from uh, the Dodgers for Stan Javier, 
and Willie uh, cemented the second base position for us. We were lacking a little bit at that time. And so the key veteran, uh, uh, Willie, but Willie is very quiet, and so is Harold. But Willie McGee would be a little bit louder. But, but McGee, all three of those guys were very well respected by our guys, and we were happy to have them. And, and you know, and I guarantee you, that might have been the most veteran club we've ever had. At this stage of De Dennis Eckersley's career, he's established himself as a closer. You know, Dave Duncan and Tony LaRusso have talked often about that conversation about using Eck at the end of the ball games or what that might mean for the club. And that in 1990, you know, a 0.61 ERA, as good as Eck has been year in and year out, how great was the 90 campaign for Dennis Eckersley? I mean, when you talk about an ERA for a reliever who, if he gives up one run in one inning, that just blows it out. And to finish at 0.61, I don't know if anybody's ever done that before or definitely not since. But Eck just had a great year. He, uh, he'll he tell you he was healthy, feeling healthy all year, and that was probably the, the big thing. He never had a nagging injury. He never had a day where he didn't think he should pitch. Tony would try to rest him if he pitched him two days in a row, but Eck was ready to go all the time. But those numbers he put up that year, they were the best we've ever seen. As the as the season ended and the A's win the American League West, 103 games, I think it's the third consecutive year, the A's have the most wins of any team in baseball, which had not been accomplished for years. I don't think it's been accomplished much since then. What was the mood going into the playoffs against the Red Sox? Well, you know, we'd handled them pretty easy. But 1990 was the year of Wade Boggs and Margot, and – you're talking about a club and that was a good club, but they weren't together. And I'll never forget, I'm running a visiting clubhouse and it's before game four. And some of the guys are packing their bags already. I mean, if we, they win again, they got to still play there the next day. They, they, they had no feeling about it. And that was the day Roger has a big day and he comes in slamming the door after he had warmed up before the game started, kicking the door. It just, he was wound up. And then he, then he goes out there and gets kicked out of the game by uh, Terry Cooney. Believe it or not, that was the start right there of us having a bad season in 1991 because of the umpires. And we so we win those four games. And like I said, it was very reminiscent of 88. We got to go all the way to Cincinnati, play a good Cincinnati club that played better than us. We didn't play bad, but they played better than us. We had all the confidence in the world going in 1990 and it wasn't a cocky confidence it was just a an era of hey we're the world champs but they knew they still had to play the game and you know we're in those games right to the end what did you mean about the connection between the a's and the umpires and what that was like moving forward the situation when uh, cooney threw out clemens and there was a hearing during the winter and we were asked did we hear roger say what uh, the umpire is saying and the, the people in our meeting said, no, they honestly didn't hear it. And the next year, we got every bad call could be made against us. And we had a Sunday night game in Minnesota. Jamie Cork is thrown out of the game behind home plate by the second base umpire in between innings, who was a standing out in the center field. Just a couple of examples. We got no calls. At the end of the season, one of the umpires remarked to one of our coaches, don't forget that you guys didn't back us last year. And then it kind of all made sense. You look back on that moment when Rogers thrown out, I think it's in the second inning of that playoff game, and you and you watch the video, you see Joe Morgan come out and he's arguing profusely with with Cooney around home plate. Roger didn't know what was going on. It took a while for, for him to make that connection that he is no longer pitching 
you know, in a huge game for the Red Sox. What's your what's your remembrance of how all that played out? Well, watching all that on TV from the clubhouse, it wasn't clear to the announcers either. They said they think he's been thrown out. And then Roger's just standing out there. And, and it was evident that Roger didn't know he had been thrown out. I mean, you talk about a wild and wacky day. There really was. And he comes up and he wants to do a TV interview and their PR people arrange for it. So he goes on TV live right outside the clubhouse to explain his end of the story. The American League, uh, Phyllis, the PR lady, blows up because they've got all these reporters upstairs that need to know what's going on. And Roger superseded them by doing a TV interview. So it was just like one thing after another. It was a crazy circus that day. How do you look back on the 90 season? Where, where does that year rank for you of, of the 54 years of, of watching A's baseball and your sense of them coming up short like it happened in 1988? Probably as well as disappointing as 88, but it was still a successful year. I mean, everybody, I grew up as a kid and you only had the World Series and everybody always said, hey, anything could happen in a short series. Now we have short series of three, five games, three and five games. So it's not always the best team that wins. We might have been better than them, but we didn't play better better than them. So they just deserve to call themselves champions. I'm talking about LA and Cincinnati. But the 1990 campaign was fun, but it's still obviously behind the, the world championship years and the 88 season because that 88 season was the first time we had qualified for postseason in some 17, 18 years. So uh, it was still a very successful year. And it's one that we still had all those guys under contract. So we knew we'd be back and hopefully compete in 91. Moose, where were the A's at that time in terms of baseball fans across the country? We know that you know they were beloved in the Bay Area, had great crowds at that time, and certainly had some uh, superstar players. You know, Those three years, and especially concluding with 1990, what was your recollection of where the A's were you know, like we like we look at some teams now and people talk about, well, it's all they talk about are the Yankees and the Red Sox and their players and, and their superstars. Were the A's like that, 88, 89, and 90, were they that team that were discussed coast to coast? I mean, even, even in Oakland, we drew 2.9 million people that year. Every Saturday and Sunday game was sold out. Weekday day games, a Wednesday or a Thursday, would be thirty five to 40,000. So we were beloved in the Bay Area. But nationally, this was the height of the – baseball card craze when you had three, four different companies and the kids were buying those up left and right. When we traveled, it was like a, we were a rock stars. We'd have to go take, sometimes take a bus to the service entrance, go and get up the loading dock and take the service elevators up to the room because the lobbies would be just jam packed with fans from all over the country. In those days, it was easy to just look it up, say, Hey, what hotel in Kansas city of the Oakland A's staying at? And then, uh, when we couldn't do that, we had to come to the front door. It was like they had to, us roped off a special uh, walkway to get to the elevator. So we were like a, a rock band just traveling everywhere. The uh, We drew better crowds probably on the road than, than most clubs or, or other clubs of those days. Uh, we had the stars. We had a lot of star power with well, all the guys we just mentioned, Stu and McGuire, and Steiny and Carney and, and uh, Jose. So... Uh, uh, the fans loved us all across the country. There were fans showing up in green and gold all over, just like today. It was a great way to end episode 11, talking about 1990 and all the things about the A's and in Major League Baseball at that time of the year. Uh, look forward to continuing these uh, discussions as we get through all 54 years of your great time with the athletics. Appreciate episode 11. Always like it. Steve Boos and it's joining us. Memories with Boos every Thursday on A's Total Access, and you can hear the entire interview 
as always, on athletics.com slash acecast. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.